Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Sweet Tarts dared to combine sweet and tart, but we didn't stop there. We combined soft and bouncy to bring you new Sweet Tarts Gummies Fruity Splits, a uniquely delicious dual-sided gummy with one side that's sweet and one side that's tart, but entirely smooth and squishy. Mmm, a powerfully perfect combo. Sweet Tarts, dare to combine. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the BBC Good Food Podcast with me, Malika Basu. In this episode, I'm speaking to Lerato about their favorite dish. Hello, Lerato. Thanks for having me, Malika. I'm excited to be here and happy to see you. Yay, I'm so happy you're here. Um, now, you're going to have to introduce yourself and then tell us a little bit about your cookbook. Yeah, so I'm Lerato. I'm a cookery writer, a chef, and just a lover of food. I adore food and talking to people about food. I cook food, share food with people, teach cookery, and, you know, try to bring the wonders of African cooking to people's homes across the world. And I've just written my first cookbook called Africana. <laughs> and it's gorgeous, can Thank I you. just say. Absolutely gorgeous. So you've been teaching cooking for a while now, haven't you? But what got you into cooking in the first place? I'd say I started cooking as a child. So my mother, it's hard. To, well, I, I don't want to say poached because that sounds really bad. She she sort of coaxed uh, her favorite chef in a health club in a hotel that she used to um, go to to go use the health club. And she coaxed him into coming to cook in our house. So Papa was our home cook. <laughs> and she coaxed Papa into cooking for us. And I just used to wonder how this man cooked all this wonderful, delicious food. My mom cooked a lot before that. But, you know, we always had lots of international sort of preferences at home, a wide range of wonderful flavors that we enjoyed at home. But Papa came with, you know, sort of like maybe restaurant quality style, you know, food <laughs> and lots of curries. Um, in Nigeria, we do have, you know, we generalize 
the curry a lot. We just say, you know, a curry stew, a curry curry casserole. And Papa was just wonderful. And I thought, gosh, this is magic. I want to know how, you know, how he's making this. And that's how I started cooking from loving what I was eating. I just thought, I want to learn how to make this. I want to learn how to make people happy, as happy as I am eating all this great And how food. old were you then? Like, what, what, what age were you? Oh, I was really young. I probably started you know, dabbling in the kitchen from maybe seven, eight, wow. quite between six and eight with Papa, the home cook. But he started letting me help out in the kitchen. But my mother didn't let me actually cook properly until I was maybe 11, 12. But she was a bit late by then. I'd, I'd been, I'm a, I was a pro already. You were already. <laughs> I hope my children are listening to this, by the way. This is all very inspiring stuff. <laughs> and tell me about your journey then going into sort of, well, professionally writing about food. How did that come about? Honestly, there, w- there wasn't this, I'd say it was my destiny because it's just happened quite, not, there's, there's been struggles but it's just made sense along the way. I studied economics in university. I always thought I would work in development. Mm, mm, mm. It was always my interest to bridge the gap between the north-south, north meaning, you know, the west. It's it's north, if you look on the map. I don't know why we call it the west, but yeah. And then the southern part is like African countries. Um, I just always wanted to work in that field. But along the line of studying economics, I loved eating out. You know, I would spend my money as a student on nice restaurants and not pubs or, or alcohol. And I would often come back and try to remake, you know, make those dishes. And remember, I've come from a family where I was already learning to cook as a child. So I've always had that interest. So I would merge foods from home. African dishes that my mom taught me with, you know, other international flavors that I was sort of uh, gathering and loving from my studying and travels. Um, And then I just started cooking as a hobby, you know, to feed myself and slowly just turned into work. I remember opening, I opened my first sort of business at, I think it was early 20s after university when I went to Nigeria after university and I opened a pizzeria. (laughs) It was strictly a business decision. It made sense and you know, in in the country at the time. Nigerians love international flavors. So I thought, open a pizzeria. I did very well. People were ordering pizza and I used proper uh, mozzarella di bufalo and imported. Oh my goodness, that's <laughs> so fascinating. It was expensive though, but it was, you know, I, w- I wanted it to be more authentic um, and it was wonderful. So that was my first sort of independent stance in, you know, cooking for the public. And then it just sort of spiraled. I had a customer who was a TV producer we, we ended up chatting uh, passionately about food. And next thing he's like, he invited me onto his show. And that's how it just started from loving food, writing about it, owning a food business, um, getting on television, you know, on radio. It just spiraled from food, media. And that's that's how I've ended I, up. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Um, and, you know, when you think about people and personalities, was there someone, I know you've mentioned this this customer, but was there anyone else who sort of really championed you and buoyed you on? There's not one person I can say. apart. My mother really oh. is, and it's it's a little bit... No, well, not unusual, but it's not necessarily what you'd expect from a Nigerian mom. Uh, we're always expected to be, you know, high achieving doctors or accountants. But my mother saw that I was really passionate and she I think she recognized that this thing was calling me. It was coming to me without me trying that hard naturally. And she just supported me along the way. She helped me set up my first business. She's always been very supportive and speaking to people about her daughter's passion 
And I would say that one person who's championed me is my mom. But along the way, so many people, you included, people I meet every day who meet me, they see something that perhaps I don't see myself and they say, Lerato, this would be great. And I try, I do well, and then I just keep getting better. <laughs> that, that's the way I can vouch for it, for sure. Tell me a little bit more about the food in, in your home. Like, I'd love to hear about what you ate and more about Papa, please. He sounds oh, like a total Papa. character. Oh, gosh. I, it's sad that I talk about him like he's still here. I'm sure he's not oh. because he was, you know, in his maybe 50s when I was 10. <laughs> so, of course, he's left us. But Papa was really, my mother would like me to say she taught me how to cook. You know, she did. But Papa was really influential in terms of making me want to, be, you know, get into the kitchen. Um, as a child growing up in my mother, I grew up with my mother. My parents were separated um, my mother's home, food was like treasure. You know, we were allowed to eat what we wanted, but we were also um, spoiled with variety. We had, a, I remember we had a menu um, on the kitchen board um, of different foods. So we were allowed to say, oh, I want to have, you know, fish and chips today. I want to have curry tomorrow. And so my diet was very varied, but I really enjoyed my mom's cooking, um, especially the Nigerian food. So Things like the beans, slow-cooked beans, which I did write about lots in my book. Um, fried rice, so I call it it's like a fragrant and aromatic rice with prawns mm. and jewels of, of fresh vegetables, carrots, green peas, green beans. And what makes it fragrant? Oh, she'd add curry powder. Ooh, I- <laughs> Approved curry powder. We we like we love a very fragrant. I'd say more Caribbean style curry powder um, than perhaps an Indian garam masala. Mm-hmm. But it's funny now that I'm an adult. I actually love. I use roasted garam masala a lot. I really love the fragrance of it. But yeah, we and now I I sort of deconstruct my curries, my my seasoning a lot. But growing up, we had it said on the bottle curry powder. <laughs> so um, the curry stews, the beans, um, lots of, my brother was more of a soup guy, soup and fufu. So fufu mm-hmm. is very popular in Nigerian and Ghanaian culture. Across Africa, actually, we have that sort of um, dumpling style um, dough, cooked dough. But I wasn't a fufu girl. I was a rice child. Rice and beans I loved. Um, and I still love to date. I, I take beans any day. <laughs> I love that because your your food is pan-African, isn't it? And tell me a little bit more about your background. Like where are you from in Africa, your family? So my family is Nigerian. But my mother, even from a young age, she just always, she was always very, I call her a curious cat. And I've become that sort of curious cat, always wanting to go somewhere else. Never just happy being in one place, just always adventuring. She traveled a lot. She had a spice business and clothing and different kinds of, she was importing lots of things. So she kept traveling. So as a child, I was always fantasizing about all these wonderful places my mom was traveling to. And then she started to take us, you know, she wanted us to see the world. She also wanted us to learn, you know, other languages. So we lived in um, Republique du Benin. So it's like, we call it Benin, but it's Benin. It's a neighboring Francophone country. She wanted us to learn French. We had family living there, the Dalmedas. And so we, <laughs> we, we started eating sort of foods that was not just Nigerian food, you know, we would eat from, you know, other African foods. So my interest and my experience started to sort of not just Nigerian food. I was growing up eating foods from across Africa in our travels. Um, And that interest just expanded as I grew up. I would make lots of friends just by virtue of how we lived. 
lots of being in lots of international schools. I had lots of international friends, <laughs> like the UN. <laughs> and, you know, I'd, I'd ask my friends about the kind of foods they eat, just like you're asking me at home. What do you love? What do you love that your mother, your grandma cooks? And then I'd learn from their parents or from them. And that's how my knowledge and interest just kept expanding and expanding. And so when it came to writing a book, I did try to write a book about Nigerian food, but I was bored not because Nigerian food is boring. It's just that because my experience mm. and my interest just was just well beyond Nigerian food. So I, you know, Africana was a very natural book for me to write. I wrote what I knew, basically. <laughs> well, it makes sense, doesn't it, to reflect what you enjoy eating yeah, yeah. and write about that. Tell us more about your favorite dish. So oh. <laughs> what makes it special to you? And t tell us about the ingredients and what goes in it. So when I say beans, I mean, we know there's different kinds of beans. A typical Nigerian would say beans. You know, I'm just going to order beans. So my favorite dish of all time is in the book, I call it slow cooked uh, black eyed beans. And it's just a dish that is a dish that I call home. It makes me feel comforted, happy. And it's perhaps not unusual that that's what my mother weaned me on. She told me she weaned me on um, slow-cooked beans with mashed potatoes, which now I wouldn't eat it with mashed potatoes. That sounds amazing, <laughs> by the way. I already love the sound of your mom. But <laughs> but it, it goes with any sort of tuber. So it'll go with mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes. Now I love it with yams, West African yams. Um, they're more cre cream, cream in colour, cream, mm. cream white in colour. Lovely texture when you boil them or roast or fry them. Or plantains. Give me plantains any day and I'll love you forever. You have another massive fan of plantains. Plantain. Oh. So good. Like anyone, if I when I meet people that say, oh, I don't like plantains, I'm like, mm, they, they must have cooked it badly. This, this is not possible. <laughs> what do you mean you don't like yeah. plantains? And then I cook it for them and then they're in love. So beans, slow cooked beans. Um, this particular dish, um, we cook it with crayfish, palm oil, oil, red peppers, scotch bonnets. But over the years, I've sort of changed the ingredients a bit. So I cook it a lot with more um, red peppers, like Romano peppers. Um, I like to sort of blend the Romano peppers to give it that red sauce with scotch bonnet. I'm not a firecracker, so I use maybe half to one scotch bonnet. I don't really like it too hot. So I always say I pare down my hot, hot, my scotch bonnet and then I use smoked paprika because in Nigeria, if I was eating this beans cooked maybe outside or by, you know, somebody else, they would and they cook it over like a charcoal or a log firewood. It, it imparts that smoky, wonderful smoky flavor. And I've just found a cheat. Smoked paprika really is a yes. simple, even for roasting vegetables and cooking them, because roasting gives it that wonderful flavor. Just just use smoked paprika and save your energy. <laughs> smoked paprika does the magic easily. Totally. I've recently discovered smoked garlic salt mm. as well. And it's just such a flavor bomb, isn't it? And a great shortcut. You can use Why it as not? a finishing salt as well. So good. I, th there's a spice we call uda. It's grain of selim. It's a, like a long pepper. It's not a long pepper. It's long um, and it's like a pod filled with some seeds, but I use the whole thing. So when I crush that with sea salt, that, that gives a very wonderful smoky salt as that well. That sounds amazing. Do you get that here? Can we yeah, buy it? you can buy it here. There, there's some spice stores that, I mean, it's not in it's not in your local supermarket. But sure. They're, they're one of the two most popular spice merchants. If you Google, they do stock this. Um, and what's it called it. again? It's called Uda. So in my mum's in my mum's Igbo tribe, it's called Uda, uh -huh. but in English, it's called grains of selim. It's not actually a grain; it's a long 
It's a pod. It's actually a pod of paper. (laughs) It's very smoky and earthy and just, I say, bewitching. (laughs) Mm. And that that must be such an amazing flavor profile to go with the sweetness of the plantain. It's wonderful. It's wonderful in stews, in beans. We traditionally use it in um, pepper soup, which is a warming sort of aromatic soup. Very, very earthy. Not very pretty to look at. It's just brown. (laughs) As with mo- most most beautiful things to eat are brown. Hey, you don't knock brown. Brown food is the best food. <laughs> Come on. We need to do a yeah. cheer for brown food. My beans, my bean, my bean dish, my ultimate dish is brown as well. <laughs> love it. Love it. And and so what would you eat that with then? Well, how would you pair that? So, so I would there's two ways I well, there's three ways I make it. If I cook the stewed beans with the red pepper and palm oil and paprika and chili. Sometimes I add the plantain. If I get a ripe plantain that's not too ripe, I would add it into the beans and cook it together, mm. maybe for the last 15 to 20 minutes to cook the plantains. Or I would add yam. So you can add you can add butternut squash, you can add potatoes, or you can add even carrots to make it even sweeter. Or I can make the beans, you could cook the beans as plain beans, you know, cook the beans for about an hour. I don't even bother soaking beans when I'm cooking them because I don't think it saves you that much time, to be honest. If you really want to save time cooking beans, just use a pressure cooker. You can cook the beans simply, maybe add like uh, some herbs like thyme or a bay leaf and then make a stew or make a, a chili. Like it's almost like a crispy chili oil. Mm. Um, and this dish is what we call agoin. It's a dish that was brought into Nigeria by the neighboring um, tribes in Bina. So they're a mix of the Yoruba and the Beninese neighboring tribes. So they brought that dish in um, and it's very popular in Lagos now. The, the women carrying the, the carrying these pots on their head, shouting, agoing, agoing. Oh, I love that. <laughs> so as a child. So in my father's house where food was not really prioritized, I would hear them and run outside with my plates to buy the agoing. So the beans, you know, plainly cooked with lashings of oil sort of, you know, mm. <laughs> doused around. My mother's house weren't allowed to eat outside food, which right. what she called it. But my father's house... We no had, problems we had fun. Yeah, So you can see the variation in my experience, which was very important to me being the cook and the teacher that I am today. I, I know I've seen both sides. <laughs> I love that. Now, you took, you mentioned palm oil a couple of mm-hmm. times. I've never actually cooked with palm oil. Oh. What does one need to know about palm oil and how to buy it? Like, can well, you do a little download? Well, people say, and I say this with caution, responsible, you know, uh, um, sustainable palm oil. I think we individually have to do our own research. Because it's an ingredient of my culture, I'm not afraid of it. I know that the orangutans aren't being chased away in, in Nigeria. It's, it's, it's a, people have identified a problem in a particular location and have um, sort of washed that across the world. So we don't all have the same problems. And that's not saying that there isn't unsustainable palm oil in Africa. But I say do your own individual research. Find companies that you are assured by their evidence that they are sustainable. A lot of these companies now sort of share their process and their, their the origins. I buy palm oil from, you know, my, my we have these local stores that sell palm oil that have come from Nigeria. Mm. And there are some good brands that have advertised and sort of been very transparent about their origins. But I'd say, don't just jump on the bandwagon and say, oh, you know, you know, palm oil is destroying um, 
the rainforest. It is in some parts of the world. And in some parts of the world, it is part and parcel of culture, um, the economy. We have farmers farming palm oil. I've seen it happen. People farming the, for the palm kennels and processing it to become palm oil. Um, it's li- literally done by just people, you know, yeah, <laughs> with course, their hands. Yeah, and the, the machine crushing it. Yeah. And I've heard that it's also a sign. It's like culturally very significant. It's a sign of prosperity, happiness, yes, you know, putting yes. a bit of palm oil on top of a dish. Yeah, we use it, especially in, you know, when there's the yam festival. Um, I think in terms of season, it's usually our late autumn here. And during the yam festival, when they sort of um, cook the, the fresh, the new yam, it's it's a festival to celebrate the, the harvest and to thank the gods and to pray for, you know, uh, pray that everyone sort of, to thank, the, to thank the gods, to thank the farmers and to pray for prosperity in oh, the next lovely. season. And, you know, the yams are cooked and dipped into palm oil and shared amongst the community. So it's a very strong sense of identity and culture for us. Um, so it's a bit hurtful when people say, oh, don't use it, don't use it, when you don't know anything about, you know, people that use it, why, where they get it from. But at the same time, we should educate ourselves and learn and not be blind, you know, we, we shouldn't be blindfolded and neither should the rest of the world. Well said, Lerato, <laughs> well said. Um the Sunday lunch tradition. Ooh, <laughs> I love Sunday lunch. It's actually it was actually a big thing growing up in Nigeria. But my mother used to take us to hotels on Sunday. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, what like as a special treat? Yes. as a kind of let's do something. Yeah, a bit let's different. go. Let's go out for a hotel buffet. Or Ooh. you know, my mother's one of those at Christmas. She didn't slave. At when Christmas. am I meeting your mother? By the way, I Soon. feel like I'm going to get on with her really well. My mother was not the kind of mother that felt that you have to show the world that you're slaving all the time. She was all about comfort and you know, luxury. <laughs> so, so a lot of Sundays we'll go to church and then we'll go out to eat. And um, as we got older and as I started cooking for myself and in my home now, I do enjoy Sunday lunch. I But I especially love cooking the slower paced um, type meals on Sunday and larger portions. So that way I can sort of divide it up, you know, for the week, especially now. So I would make lots of roasts on Sunday thinking about Sunday, but thinking about the rest of the week. Yes. So instead of roasting one bird, roast two or three um, and then cut it up. And that's, you know, your week's l- week-long chicken that you can use in a salad, you can use in a stew. Um, I think know. that's very sensible, isn't it, to do yeah. that and, you know, given yeah. everything. So for me, I think, so. I think you know, this danger of sort of um, missing out on Sunday lunch because perhaps we're trying to save money. We, we could, if you want to enjoy Sunday lunch, you could still enjoy it. But let's try to think of, you probably will need chicken or roasted butternut squash or, a ro- you know, for example, you could put, two whole bulbs of garlic in your oven while you're roasting something else. And then you have ready-made garlic, you know, to squish into hummus, to squish into yogurt. To... I've never <laughs> tried that, actually. That is a great show. Yeah, yeah, you just have that ready. You don't you just have, have to... have roasted garlic yeah. sort of sitting around. Yeah, and just squeeze it out. Squeeze one bulb. That one, is one, such one a top food writer tip yes. right there. <laughs> yeah. Good shot. But all I... the trays of vegetables, like roasting, I used to do that yeah. for a bit. Yeah, roast trays of vegetables that you want to eat with your with your main if it's a if it's a vegan roast or a chicken roast and then leftovers for later well maybe with your black with your black eyed beans with the beans and if you're like i like crispyish vegetables so even though you've put them in the fridge and they turn soggy you can just flash fry them in, in a hot oil really hot pan That's and they're true. ready to go and they're back they've got their life yeah, back basically back. Yeah. love it so <laughs> we're going to do a round of rapid fire questions Ooh. are you ready for this I'm ready yes. excellent <laughs> uh, so I'm going to ask you um, 
What is your most well-thumbed cookbook, please? This is a good favorite that's by my bedside because I read cookbooks like bedtime stories. So Provence to Pondicherry. It's a really good book by Tessa Kiros. She's a travel um, writer slash, you know, cookbook author. Really, really lovely sort of memoir of, you know, tra- travels across you know, <laughs> India and France. Um, and it's a, it's an eclectic range of recipes and stories that sort of um, bring you closer to the, to the, the countries and the changing climate of the things that they cook. Um, of course, big history, big French legacy and Pondicherry. Exactly. So big that'll f- be interesting. What music do you listen to when you're cooking? Ooh, I I love listening to a range. There's a, and I have playlists as well. But there's a particular singer. She's called Cesaria Ivoria, mm. and um, she's a uh, she's from Cap Vert, Cape Verde, um, which it's a country that speaks Portuguese, and they have this sort of culture of uh, they have this musical culture called La Morna. It's very melancholic music. Is there a great cheap eats restaurant or a pub or a market that you go to that you'd recommend? Because you don't, you, you're not in London, are you? You live in Eastbourne. I live in Eastbourne. I live in Eastbourne. I don't eat out often. I, I must confess, but I'd say not necessarily cheap eats. It's more so really good produce and cheap in the sense that you get it's like more value for what you're paying for. I really love my green grocers. Um, they're quite. They're, they're one or two where you can get plantains from in Eastbourne. Literally, like one or two places. <laughs> and um, one of them's called Terminus. So if anyone lives in in Sussex, one of them's called um, Terminus um, Greengrocer by the seaside. Really good produce. His name's Mohammed. Tell me about something that's always in your fridge. Ooh, ketchup. Ooh. Always, I love ketchup. I might be addicted to ketchup. <laughs> Confession time now. Ooh. What's your biggest cooking disaster? Oh dear, this happened very recently. I have, you know, they happen often like burning water. Mm-hmm. Um, you know? I'm, uh, I'm nodding, I'm nodding. Yeah. I, honestly, I'm, I could write a book about kitchen disasters. I'm one of those that likes to boil water for tea in a pot. I don't know, I just have something against kettles. I like traditional things. Anyway, so recently I was filming a live cooking um demonstration I'd say two hour long one so it was my longest live broadcast across the world we had people writing in from America South Africa India and I was making plantains and I'm very proud of you know teaching people how to cook plantains and I I made the point to tell people you've got to be careful because plantains burn very easily and as I said that I burnt my plantains but um you know because I was talking and I had to you know I had to cook several things I had jollof rice on the stove I had kukupaka from Tanzania cooking the coconut curry with mm-hmm. chicken and then I had the 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 lovely plantain cubes um frying on the side and then they burnt but the the cameramen were so good to me they just sort of you know didn't really show it so I'm telling you now that well, I burnt the plantain the food that you've never tried so I've never knowingly eaten Ants. Okay. Um, in West Africa, I've seen ants and some slugs and, you know, their delicacies in some parts and lots of parts of the world as well. I've never knowingly, and I say knowingly because I may have, you know, swallowed a, a bug. <laughs> I didn't realize. I thought, yummy. Guilty pleasures. Ooh. What do you love eating or doing that is a bit naughty? I have, a, I have quite a few. There's food related and there's TV related. Um, I love shortbread. I, if you buy me a pack of shortbread, I can't just eat one. It makes me really happy. It makes me feel like comforted. It's like 
good for the soul. I love making shortbread as well. Like I have a spice shortbread. It's a, I think it's called vanilla, black pepper and chai shortbread. I just thought, it sounds delicious. how can I make, how can I, how, how greedy can I be with shortbread? It's already fantastic, but what else can I do to it to make it even more amazing? <laughs> and then I love TV. People say, people often ask me, what do you do to relax? And I think they expect me to say, I meditate and do yoga. I watch TV to relax. My brain is constantly on fire, like constantly working. And television helps me sort of snap out of like work in my head. Any specific kind? I'm really addicted since I was a child to telenovelas. So they're like um, South American, could be Mexican, Argentinian dramas. They're very over the top. Um, I love watching those. I've got a final question for you. What makes you optimistic about the future? I mean, you're a bundle of energy anyway, but surely <laughs> there's something you're excited about that's up and coming. I'm really African food. Yeah. Can I can I plug that? <laughs> <laughs> I think you probably can. African food, I think, for as much as I've loved it, I'm in my mid-30s now. I've loved it all my life. And I'm happy that the world is learning more about it, enjoying it, and more of us are proud to share it. Um, I think for a long time, it was this insular thing that we enjoyed. We didn't talk much about, you know, uh, we didn't share to the mainstream, I'd say. And I'm just loving the new sort of um, enthusiastic approach to it. Um, I'm also loving the fact that it seems like the world is becoming more interested in world foods, foods from other parts of the world that perhaps we're not accustomed to. People are uh, widening their horizons and their interests. And it's exciting. I love food. I love meeting a vast range of people to learn about them, to hear their stories. I just think it's very touching, inspiring, and you learn so much. And you often find that we almost always have a connection somehow. You never know until you talk to people um, and you learn about their history, their food, and then you're like, wow, I, I eat something like that. We're just talking about the Ethiopian chickpea stew and how you're far from Ethiopian. But that dish, shiro, I think it must have been shiro you had, reminded you of your, your being back in being, India. Exactly. Totally. So what are the odds? So we're more connected than we know. And I'm just excited that the conversations are, are sort of bringing that to the fore now, especially in food. I'm excited. Um, you know. <laughs> well, so are we. I think, you know, you're doing a phenomenal job on the on the front, you know, sort of I changing so. perceptions about <laughs> African food and all my best. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful. <laughs>